Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Who do you think you are? Turn to the person next to you just to humour me one more time and say, Who do you think you are? Anybody ever had that said to them? Anybody ever had that said to them with a little bit of attitude attached? Anybody ever had that said to them with a finger pointing in their face? Who do you think you are? Well, if you have, then you're in good company because Jesus Christ Himself, when He was here on planet Earth some 2,000 years ago, had the religious people of His day pointing their finger in His face saying, Who do you think you are? How can you say that you were before Abraham? You're only 30 years of age. Abraham lived a long, long time ago. Who do you think you are to say that before he was, you were? He caused quite a stir. In actual fact, Jesus was anything but nice. Jesus was loving. Jesus was caring. Jesus was controversial. People loved him. People hated him. Jesus was a controversial figure that changed the world. And I'm so grateful he did. Jesus was uh, uh, very strong and very clear about who he was. And he wanted his disciples to know who they were. Jesus was uh, a man that wanted people to know who they were. The 12 disciples that Jesus gathered to Himself, uh, for the most part, were rough and tough fishermen. There are a couple of other vocations in there as well. But a lot of them were just hardened and rough and tough fishermen. And Jesus wanted them to know that they were more than just fishermen. And I want you to know this morning, you are more than just what you do. What you are is not necessarily what you do. We live in a society, we live in a world that defines who we are by what we do. And we figure the better job we have, the higher our income, the better we are. And that is not true. Jesus smashed that. Jesus did not want His disciples to be defined by what they did. He wanted them to have an intrinsic knowledge of who they are. And I want you this morning, to grasp and to grab a hold of who you are, not necessarily what you do. If you're a hairdresser this morning, that's what you do. It's not who you are. If you're an accountant this morning, we'll pray for you later, but that is not what you do. So that is not who you are. That is what you do. I am not a pastor. That's what I do. Who I am is not defined by what I do. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, knew this to be true. And every one of his letters, he starts with this thought. I, Paul, that's who I am, an apostle called by the will of God. That's what I do. He always defined who he was first. And out of who he was, he did what he did. Because when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll know how to behave. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do and you'll know what not to do. I knew a long time ago, I would never be a mechanic. I'm not wired that way. 
But when you understand who you are, it brings a peace, it brings a joy, it brings an inner security. And I believe that we need to be secure in who we are. Hence why we started this series just last week when we looked at who we are in Christ. And the first thing we looked at was that we are ambassadors. We are Christ's representatives here on planet Earth. And we've been given a message. We've been given a word. And it's not a judgmental word. It's not an argumentative word. It's not a political word. It's not a message based upon branding nor style. It's not a weird word. We're not meant to freak people out with weird nonsense. That is not the message that Jesus Christ gave us. The message that He gave us was one of reconciliation, that we could be the mediators on planet Earth between one party and another, that we could join God to those that are far from Him and we could do it in a wonderful way where people would come to know Jesus without the weirdness, without the strangest, without the judgment, without the argument, without all the stuff that goes on in the name of church. And what better time to share this message as we lead up to Christmas? We have an incredible message. And as ambassadors of Christ, we need to share that message and be loud and proud about it. So that was last week. Today, I want to look at who we are, part two. And that is, we are the light of the world. Say light of the world. And that's who we are. Let's read from Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14, Matthew is the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus, one of the eyewitnesses of Christ. And he wrote down all the things that he saw and heard. And this is what we're reading from today. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, speaking to his disciples. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus knew who He was and He wanted His disciples to know who they were. When we know who we are, we'll know how to behave. When we know who we are, we will know what to do. And on this occasion, Jesus says, you know who you are? You're not fishermen. You're not tax collectors. You're much more than that. You are the light of the world. Now, when Jesus says things like this, we are meant to stop and ask ourselves this question. What does he mean by light of the world? I mean, when you're talking to hard and rough and tough fishermen, it's probably not the toughest thing Jesus could have ever have said. You are the light of the world. I mean, I imagine Peter, one of the disciples, thinking, really, Jesus, light of the world? Really, that's what you want to draw a, a parallel between my life and who I am, really? But Jesus did that many, many times. Many times Jesus used metaphorical language to make a point. He said on many occasions, the kingdom of heaven is like He never said the kingdom of heaven is. He said it is like. In other words, he tried to dumb down. He tried to give us finite beings an insight into the infinite nature of our God. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to realise that every illustration that Jesus gave fell far short of what heaven really is like. 
And so when he says to the disciples, you are the light of the world, they were meant to ask themselves, as we are today, what did he mean by that? What is the importance of light? What does light do? What significance does light have in our lives today? And what I want to do this morning in the short time that we have together is simply do that. Look at what Jesus meant when he said, you are the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. Now let your light shine. Now I may not be Thomas Edison, granted, but there are some things I do understand about light. I know this to be true, that light does several things. And the first thing I want to draw your attention to is simply this, that light brings sight. Very good. Good. When Jesus said, you are the light of the world, I think he had this in his mind, that light brings sight. And as light brings sight, so are you meant to bring sight to those that are living in darkness. We live in a world where people are stumbling around in the darkness. Can I just have all the house lights down? This has not been rehearsed. So if those on the back desk can just work with me and maybe even get some of these lights off back here, that'd be fantastic. Well, there we go. Look at all the phones. <laughs> Thank God for church 2014. But, but when, you, when you are in the darkness, when you're in the darkness, you don't know what's ahead of you. And so as you keep moving forward, you're going to ultimately stumble over the things that you can't see. And there are many people that do their lives like that. They can't see. And so as a result, they just trip over things all the time. And Jesus said, you should not be living like that. You are the light of the world. Enter my torch. See, this is the value of a torch. The torch can shine the light on things. And so I can be walking and I say, hey, there's an obstacle in front of me. This pulpit is going to cause me trouble unless I adjust my direction. See, without the torch, I just keep walking and get injured and get hurt. But we have an opportunity to shine the light in people's world and help them avoid certain obstacles. And say, so this is the way. It's not that the pulpit's bad. It's not a bad pulpit. It's just not going to be any good to you. Yeah. And we can lovingly help people. This is what Jesus had in mind because sight, sorry, light brings sight. Without light, we're just guessing. But Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Can we have the house lights back on? That'd be fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate that. In the chapel service, I told this story, and I will not mention the name, but a good friend of mine, he's a pastor, told me this story. And I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that facts are stranger than fiction. This is one of those stories where fact definitely is stranger than fiction. As an itinerant preacher, he gets to travel the world, and, and when you get to travel the world, your body clock gets all over the place. And so he was staying in a person's home, and uh, he found himself awake in the middle of the night and thought, I don't want to disturb the host family. So I'm just going to, you know, make my way to the little boy's room 
and uh, hopefully not disturb anyone in the meantime. Yes, I could turn on the light and get the sight required, but uh, that might wake people up, and I don't want to do that. I want to be a good um, guest. And so he just kind of found himself, you know, stumbling through this house trying to find the little boy's room, which he did find. And instead of turning the toilet light on, he just thought, you know, I won't do that because I don't want to disturb the family, and I am a good host. And so he just proceeded to take a seat on the toilet, not knowing that the owner of the house had also been awake at the same sort of time (laughs) and thought, as a good host, I don't want to upset our guest, so I won't turn the lights on in the house. And so he made his way in the darkness to the toilet, found himself sitting there, and my pastor friend sat down on his lap. I would love to reveal the person's name because many, 50% of you in this room know who it is. I won't, for his identity, I will not reveal who it is now. But afterwards, if you pay me enough, I will. But anyway, (laughs) and I think how that story could have been avoided had they just flicked on a light. And it's kind of like a metaphor. People have all these awkward moments, these embarrassing moments, because they're stumbling around in the darkness. Whereas light can bring the sight required to stop some of those awkward moments. You are the light of the world. What does that mean? The first thing it means is that light brings Sight. Secondly, light creates its own atmosphere. You know, you can have a very average room that can be quite drab. But when you get the lighting just right, it can make a very drab room quite engaging. I love this auditorium. But to be honest, when you turn out all the coloured lights and just put the house lights on or get some natural light in here, it's really quite drab. In natural daylight, all you're going to see is a square room with grey walls, a white ceiling and some grey carpet. But lighting helps create an ambience and an atmosphere. That's what light does. Light creates its own atmosphere. It can take a drab room and make it beautiful. And I believe that is what Jesus is saying when He says, you are the light of the world, that we can go into the drabbest of situations. We can go into any circumstance or any situation and just shine His light and turn an average day into an extraordinary day for those that are looking on. We have a cafe that we often frequent and we do that intentionally because we like the food and we, and we, and we like the service. But you know, the other day when we were there, This woman comes up to us and she started asking us questions about us. The first question she asked was this. She said, what are you on? Because she knew that she was serving us soft drink. To be more specific, spring water, the, the bubbly water, sparkling water. And so she said, are you putting something in the water that I'm bringing to you? I said, no, 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 we're just, we're just having fun. But she was so enamoured with the fun that we were having 
And our table stood out. Our table created an atmosphere all of its own without alcohol, without drugs, without all those other substances because that's what light can do. It creates its own atmosphere. It's not dependent on what is happening around about it. And uh, as we got talking, she started asking questions. So I think if we're really shining our light, we shouldn't have to tell people that we go to church. People should start asking questions. And she says to me, what, what do you do? I said, have a guess. She says, are you a mechanic? I said, no, I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> are you a hairdresser? I'd like to be. I think I would have been a good hairdresser. I just, I just whenever I get my hair done, I, I'm one of those guys that watches things. I could do that. Have you anyone out there like, no, just me. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. But anyway, but we got talking and I said, oh, I lead a church. What church? Might come along one day. And so she invited herself to church. And I know I'm the only person who's had that experience. And as many hands would go up, I said, who's had that experience? That's what we should be doing. That's what we should be doing as light to this world. See, Jesus didn't say, try to let your light shine. He said, let your light shine. This torch didn't try to let its light shine. It just did. It just, just did, Moggy. It just did, Kelly, Mick, Chris. It just did. It's not trying. It's not like, oh, I'm going to try. Oh, it's so hard being a torch. There's so many Christians that look constipated. Oh, I'm just trying to let my light shine. <laughs> just like, just trying. They said, let your light shine. Just relax. Just, just, just let your light shine. And so when we were having a drink and having a meal at that cafe, we weren't trying to be good Christians. We weren't trying to draw attention to ourselves. We were just being ourselves. And that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, let your light shine. Stop trying. Just, just, just let it out. Just let your light shine. See, I don't believe that faith is a personal thing. People say, oh, faith is a very personal thing shouldn't talk about faith because that's a personal thing. I don't personally see it like that. I think our faith should be expressed. In fact, I think if our faith is so personal, no one ever sees it or notices it, then it's actually quite selfish. See, if I was in a burning building and there were people in that burning building and I found a way out and never told them about the way out, that would be selfish. It's not just, oh, I'm just personal. It's just, it's just a personal exit strategy I have. I didn't want to inconvenience them. It's just a personal thing I do. Just escape from fires. It's just a personal thing. It's ridiculous. Not selfish. If I found food in the midst of famine and didn't share my food, that would be selfish, not personal. Oh, it's just a personal thing. I, I, just, I just believe in just keeping the food for myself. No, no, it'd be selfish. And if I have a message of hope, if I have a message of joy, if I have a message of peace and keep that to myself, that's not being personal, that's being selfish. And so I don't believe that faith should be private and personal so much as loud and proud. Because yeah. yeah. faith creates its own atmosphere. Moving on, number three, light needs a power source. Every light needs a source of power. Be it the source from the sun, be it electricity, or be it a battery that's in this torch. 
Every light needs a source of power. Is that fair to say? And that is true for you and I. See, Jesus didn't say, let your light shine, but do your own thing. Jesus had in mind that we would be close to our source of power, our source of strength, our source of hope, our source of joy, and that is Christ Himself. There are many people that in a meeting like this respond, they put up their hand, they give their lives to Christ, they call themselves Christians, and then they just walk away from God and do their own thing. And then they say, I tried Christianity, which I find hard to believe that you can try Christianity. But the purpose of Christianity is that we would be in living relationship with our Creator, with our Saviour, with our Redeemer for all time and eternity. It's the same purpose of marriage, that we would do life together. Unfortunately, many marriages grow apart because they let things get in the way of the relationship. Christianity is not about rules and regulations. Christianity in its simplest, purest form is simply a relationship with our Creator that was made possible through the sacrifice of Jesus. And as a result of that relationship being reunited through the sacrifice of Christ, we're meant to live with Him for the rest of our life. And as we live with Him and stay close to our power source, we can let our light shine. If I don't replace the battery in this torch it will be rendered useless. And unfortunately, there are many people that call themselves Christians, but they don't walk with Jesus and they render their Christianity useless. Not because Christianity is useless, but because they're not close to the source of power that comes through a living relationship with Him. This torch can be perfectly good, but with a flat battery, is unusable. And so Jesus wants us to stay close to him. Number four, light dispels darkness. You may find yourself presently in a very dark place or a very dark season. Some of you who have been walking with Christ for many years may find yourself at work as the only Christian. I hear this all the time. I'm the only Christian in my workplace. And we use that as a reason why we should get a new job. And, and maybe you do need to get a new job. But before you get a new job, think about it. Maybe that's the very reason that you are there. If you're the only Christian in that place, maybe that's the reason you are there. Because light shines brightest in the darkness. When I turn this light on in a room full of light, it, you hardly notice it. But when it's dark, you notice it all the more. And so maybe you need to leave your place of work. But before you do, just ask yourself, am I here for another purpose other than just the work that I do? Maybe I'm here to shine my light. Maybe some of you, it's not the dark place you're in. Maybe it's a dark season you're in. Maybe things are just not going well for you. Can I just say this? A dark place or a dark season doesn't necessarily mean that you're out of the will of God. In actual fact, you could be very much in the will of God. Job was a man that was very much in the will of God and yet he lost all his family. He lost all his cattle. He lost all his wealth. And then he got incredibly sick and his whole body was covered in sores. The only person that was in his world at that time was his wife. 
the one person he wished was not in his world at that time. Because she said to him, why don't you just curse God and die? She didn't understand what was really going on. But Job was able to say, even in the darkest of times, even in that dark season, he was able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. And I will forever praise His name. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what you're facing right now. But I know a dark place or a dark season or a dark time can mean that you have the opportunity to shine your light the brightest. You see, anyone can be a Christian when everything's going well. But what about when it's not going well? What about when things are not going your way? That's the opportunity to shine forth your light. Every one of us will go through or has been through a dark season. And I would encourage you to stop rebuking the devil and stop blaming this person or that person, but just let your light shine. Let your light shine. It's wonderful to be happy when you're happy, but to receive some devastating news about your health, to receive some devastating news about your family and still get to church with a smile on your face, trusting God in the darkest of moments. Let your light shine that much brighter. Light dispels the darkness. And number five, my final point is simply this, that light is diminished when eclipsed by certain objects. Light is diminished when eclipsed by certain objects. Many of us would have experienced in our lifetime, at least once, when the moon passes in front of the sun and blocks out the sun's light. And for a small portion of time, it goes quite dark. We call that an eclipse. Can I say that some of the things that would cause our light not to shine are those things that get in between us and the world we're trying to shine our light to. So what is stopping our light? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in this world. As our band come up, can I, or at least our keyboard, that'd be great. Can I simply say that Paul is saying here, let your light shine, but do it without grumbling and do it without complaining. Because when you grumble and complain, it stops your light shining. And, and if we're honest... And let's be honest. Hey, how about that? A church that's honest. When's the last time you grumbled or complained? See, it's not that we're not shining. It's just that people aren't seeing in the light because what's getting in the way 
is the grumbling and the complaining. Shining's not hard. It's easy to shine. But for people to see the light, you've got to let it be seen. And the quickest thing that stops our light being seen is grumbling, whinging, and complaining. And so we can go to church and we can sing our songs and say, oh, I'm shining. The trouble is people aren't seeing it. Why? Because we are crumbling, whinging, and complaining. We say, oh man, wasn't that a great service? Yes, but no one can see it. The light of Jesus because of our whinging, our grumbling, and our complaining. And then we go to the church and they say, man, wasn't it great? It was awesome. We were shining on each other. But no one's seeing it because there's a blockage, there's an eclipse. And that eclipse, that blockage, that obstacle, according to what Paul has said here, is whinging, complaining, gossiping. He says, let's do it. Let's let our light shine without grumbling, without disputing, without these things. John Calvin was a man of God and he lived a few hundred years ago. And uh, he lived at the time of Martin Luther, the great reformer. And they didn't agree on all aspects of theology. And someone came to John Calvin one day and said, Martin Luther is saying some negative things about you. What do you think about that? And John Calvin answered this way. He said, even if he, Martin Luther, were to call me a devil, I should still regard him as an outstanding servant of God. John Calvin knew what Paul was on about when he said, do all things without whinging or complaining. When we started this church, believe it or not, 20 years ago, we were planted out of a church that didn't have a church planting culture. And when you're planted out of a church that doesn't have a church planting culture, of course there's a misunderstanding surrounding our church. And there are some of my once friends, and there were some of our once church-going family that were saying some really nasty things about me and this new fledgling church plant. They were calling us a cult, a split. Tony's got a bad attitude, all, all this stuff. And I remember gathering our small church together, numbering 12. And I said, guys, we can't stop people saying anything bad about us but we can stop us saying something bad about others. And I want you to know that has been in the DNA of this church from the day it started. There are seasons of opposition. Seasons come, seasons go, but how we respond is really important. We're about to dedicate three young babies. And if I could give the parents of these precious kids any advice, or well, if I could give any advice to any parent out there, it would be this. Don't grumble in front of your kids. Don't whinge or complain in front of your kids. You know, church is not a perfect place by any stretch of the imagination. It's not. Just look straight ahead. Don't look at anybody right now because that could be the person I'm talking about. You never know. But just wherever people gather together, there are problems. That's my point. And we made a vow a long time ago 
Before we even had kids, that when we have kids, we are not going to talk trash talk in front of our kids. Because I'd seen too many pastor's kids fall by the wayside, fall out of love with God and His church. And I think largely it was because some of the conversations that took place in the home. And so we've been very protective of our kids as to what they hear out of our mouths when it comes to the church, when it comes to God, when it comes to Christianity. I want our church, I want our home and our family to be a safe place. I don't want them to know all the struggles that mum and dad are having. I want to shine the light of Jesus even in the darkest, toughest season of our lives. Because I don't want to be the one that causes them to stumble. I don't want to be the one that causes them to fall by the wayside because I couldn't keep my big mouth shut. I wonder how many conversations we have with the kids in the back seat of the car. I wonder how many conversations we have downstairs when our kids are upstairs hearing everything we're saying. The Bible says, let's do life without whinging and complaining. Hey, every one of us has got a sob story. Every one of us has got a story where we could justify our hurt. Every one of us. I have been so mistreated, you might say. Usually some of the things people are saying about me, others might say. And it could go on and on and on. And some of the atrocities that have happened to you, I couldn't even hold a candle to. I'm not here today to be insensitive to that. But this I know, going on and on and on about it, is not going to help the situation. And it's not only not going to help you, but it's not going to help those that are in your world. See, so many kids with so many adult attitudes to things they shouldn't even know about. Saw a six-year-old kid the other day having a go at Tony Abbott. (laughs) Said, what? You shouldn't even know who Tony Abbott is. Go play Lego. Like, really? And we fill our kids' heads. And we fill those in our circle's heads with rubbish. And I thank God that in the DNA of this church, this was put in in the very foundation. Hey, can't stop things happening to us, but we can stop how we respond. And we've seen over the last 20 years, some of those who are our biggest antagonists befriend us, apologize, Some are even part of this church today. I thank God for that. I thank God. Can I also say when it comes to this, it's not just the absence of grumbling. It's also the positive and the addition of positive attitude. And so we're in our car going home from church. We'll ask our kids, hey, what did you like about church today? What did you get out of the message? Give me your one thing. Give me your your, your one thing you got out of it. And we'll talk about that. Let's make it positive. 
when we had the opportunity to travel with ministry and we've been able to take our kids with us on certain occasions, we just filled their heads with this thought, man, you realise you probably never would have been able to do this trip if we had not said yes to following Christ. Isn't that awesome? Let's do everything without whinging, complaining, grumbling, because it doesn't help. But let's be positive. Let's have a great attitude. And let's set our next generation up for a win. There's so many dark things. There's so many bleak things. There's so many uncertainties out there. Our kids don't need another thing to think of. Another thing to be worried about. We need to give them hope. We need to give them joy. We need to give them peace. And the reason we do that is because of the life in us. Who do you think you are? You're the light of the world. That's who you are. You're an ambassador of Christ. That's who you are. Whatever job you have today, you may not have tomorrow. You can be a fisherman one day, you can be unemployed the next. And Jesus knew that, so he wanted them to know that they were more than just what they did. And I want you to know this morning, church, and all those that are visiting for the very first time, you're more than what you do. You've been created on purpose for a purpose. Before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye, God knew you. God knitted you and put you together in your mother's womb with a purpose for being here. Whatever age you are is the exact age you're meant to be. You weren't born too early. You weren't born too late. For me, the God-appointed age is 45. It's just the age to be for me. To wish I was younger, to wish I was older is to waste time. If you're older than me, God bless you. I'm catching you up soon. And if you're younger, you'll be 45 before you know it. Make the most of it. Make it count. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 